Welcome to the Freud's Angels podcast, where two highly intuitive women dig into everyday problems using our connection to the divine, psychology, and energy work. We support you in your self-awareness, growth, and aid you in your shadow work. Now we're your hosts. I'm Vanessa. And I'm Grace. Let's get into the show. Hey, hey, angels. Welcome to the Freud's Angels podcast, episode number 92. For some reason, I'm having a reaction to that. It's probably a hockey player's number, so I'm just going to skip right over that. (laughs) (laughs) So what are we going to get into today? Well, we're going to talk about our inner child. Oh, I know. (laughs) And we're going to define it. Each of us has, I think, has a specific definition of what we feel are in what what that term means. And there's no wrong term. Um, there's no wrong way to relate it as long as it leads to better healing, as long as it leads to an understanding of healing um, ourselves in the current day. Um, and then we're going to share some insights. We're going to share how that may manifest into you know some of the ways you like prevent yourself from stepping forward the fear whatever you know it's experienced and maybe a few ways about how to work with that inner child and how to really nurture um and how to move past some ideas of like I don't know how to do it because of whatever reason so I think it's it you know at first I was like oh this may be a short episode but as I keep talking I'm like oh this could be a long episode like we've, we've never made a short episode. Of <laughs> Remember when we thought we were going to do 30 to 40 minute episodes? Yeah. That <laughs> like went right out the window. Sometimes. <laughs> yes. That went right out the window after our like second recording. We're like, well, I guess we're not going to be that person. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know, I feel like it's such a good thing because there's a lot of knowledge and experience and other people's knowledge and experience that we store because we care so much about, you know, all of this, that it's like, we can't help, but want it all to spill out. You know, it's funny because like, um, it's been told to me more than once that I give away too much stuff for free, you know, and it's kind of like, I don't care. (laughs) Like, and maybe I should, and maybe it's a poor business decision, but I would much rather, because I know that access isn't, there for everybody. I would much rather stay connected to the purpose of however many people can be healed and, you know, doing better. Hey, we're here for it. So we're going to spill all the information that we've learned, all the experience we've learned. We're going to take what people have taught us. Like here, here it comes at you every week. (laughs) Absolutely. A hundred percent. And you know, and part of, I think having information is sharing information and sure we, each of us have our own special gifts and how we help others heal, but sometimes giving people the information that we have will encourage them and empower them to start their journey in healing. And maybe it's a facet of some of their current healing that they didn't miss that they didn't have. And they're like, Oh, Oh, and it helps further them along in whatever way they're at. I'm here for that. That's the whole purpose. We do what we do. And when we come to, when it comes to inner child work, I think it's like, it's the first thing, the first kind of work that I did. And my understanding of it has evolved over that time um, through the lens of psychology, through the lens of healing um, and all the ways that I use it. So I would be really fascinated, Vanessa, if you could share your thought about what inner child is like, what is our inner child? What is your definition of working with your inner child? Um, well, so when I think of inner child, I think that we use that term in order to make it make sense in our brains, right? So we can think about what, uh, what our early programming is. If we see it in the shape of a child, um, it also, I think like presents innocence. Um, it allows us to detach from guilt and, um, you know, personal responsibility and all that stuff that goes along with, um, the basis of our programming. So our inner child to me is simply our early programming. 
It's the early neural pathways in our brains that were um, stimulated and growing. Um, and that doesn't always mean good or doesn't always mean, you know, the not so good um, because we, you know, when we say inner child work, we, we generally don't have to go back there and um, reparent a happy child, <laughs> right? So the connotation of inner, inner child work is, you know, kind of a little bit painful. So it does help to, I guess, kind of create that conceptual, you know, of, hey, we're just going back and we're, we're going to take that little person that you were. And we're going to nurture them the way that it should have been nurtured in that moment. Um, so yeah, like to me, when I do inner child work, it's, um, it's just going back and seeing my, my programming and how it got there and what experiences created it. Um, the age doesn't matter as much. Um, sometimes it helps me understand like where I got the idea from, but it's really just to me, like travel back in time and find those things that are hurting you today and nurture them in the way that they, um, that would be more productive for you today. Take it apart with your adult brain, the way that your child brain couldn't do it <laughs> and fix it, <laughs> make it sound different. <laughs> what about you? How does this, how does this form in your mind when you think of inner child? <clears throat> so I love everything you just said, and I'm in a hundred percent agreement with everything you just said. And, but I'm going to share when I first heard the word inner child way back when in the first part of my journey, I was like, I thought it was like that part of me that was that actual little girl, like that little child. And so mm -hmm. that was kind of how I approached it at first. But mm -hmm. as I evolved through the process, it's not it, there's, there's two kind of ways I see it now. One is it's not about the child I was and the, the actual healing that actual child. Mm -hmm. It's about healing parts of us that have not matured because of trauma we've had at that child mm -hmm. and whether it's emotionally, mentally, or, you know, or, and sometimes even physically. Um, and it's also, like you said, it's finding out the parts of us that were developed when we were small children and learning to heal the root of that, which is, you know, that's where we find most of our roots is childhood, right? That's kind yeah, of how absolutely. we, how it rolls. So we already got that one, right? Yeah. <laughs> we'll accept that Freud yes. for all his other wackiness. He did get that part. right. <laughs> so when we look to our inner child, we're looking at the energy that was created as we were a child. So like you said, and so it's almost like, you know, you're triggered by something as an adult. Well, that trigger formed when you were however old or when you were small. And so it's going back there and diffusing that energy and diffusing that trigger by reframing it, how we need to reframe it whether it's understanding of the situation, the people involved, what their capacity was, what your capacity was, why you created the trigger in the first place, why it became a trigger. And it's not to say that we're not blaming, we're not blaming people, but we're having a complete understanding of the situation and saying, mm -hmm. oh, you know what? I didn't, that didn't happen because of me. Yeah. It happened because of that person's trauma or this person's filter or that person's needs weren't being met here. So then they projected on me. It was, it's, it's having a complete understanding of the situation so that we can kind of step back and take off that sense of that. It's because of us that all these bad things happen to us. Yeah. We take that ownership and we put it in somebody else's court. And we realize that we don't have to carry that as that we're bad or that we're undeserving because that's where that starts, that sense of undeserving. I mean, how many of you out there struggle with the idea of feeling like you deserve happiness or love or joy or even health? Like, you know, the idea that or we even know what it is. Yeah. And <clears throat> that comes from the idea that at some point in our childhood, we took the blame of all these bad things happening to us 
So then we don't feel we're worthy of the goodness that life has to offer. So we're going to sabotage it the whole way through because of that one belief that we're not worthy because that person hurt us and we feel it was our fault. Mm -hmm. And there's so many ways around it. Like, like, like you said, we're like, oh, this will be a short one. Like, oh no, it is not going to be a short one (laughs) because there's like multiple ways of that, of the situations. And depending on the situation, there are multiple ways that we have to look you know, around at the situation and what heals one thing may not be the same thing that heals another thing. And, um, what's a worthiness conversation with this piece may be a, you know, a something different with this piece, but we have to get down to that root to know, you know, yeah, that made me feel unworthy or that made me feel not powerful or, you know, because unless you get deep down into that root, we don't know what we're working at. Um, but you know, like, I think that what's good about being able to kind of describe this in multiple ways is because I think everybody wants to understand what that's like before they dive into it. Cause it sounds scary, you know, like, Oh, we're going to go talk about my childhood. If you had a really terrible childhood, you're like, Nope, (laughs) I want you to fix me now I don't want you to go back there and talk to that child and that's where you know I feel like trying to diffuse that and saying and I say this to my clients all the time we don't have to go to the events if the events are going to trigger you and make today worse we don't have to go to the events we can literally just go you can sit with me and I can say what are the feelings or what are the problems or pretend you're that person again and what do you think when you were six your brain thought right? And well, now what would your brain think that today, you know, and just kind of intellectualize it until we're okay with getting into that space. If we need to get into that space, it's, it's individual or it should be individual um, for everybody of how we get into it. But the goal literally being re reframing, like you said, I love that the word reframing is like my favorite thing. Cause it's like, you can think of it physically, right? Like you can take a frame and put it around a picture and take a different frame and put it around the same picture. And it looks completely different. It's literally the same type of thing of saying, okay, step outside and look at it now. Who did that? Why did they do that? You know, uh, tons, every, not tons, every client I've ever had has had to do this in one way or another, because the hurt that we have from our childhood comes from our primary caregivers most of the time. And it's hard to forgive them because we're mad because we feel like the struggles that we have today, if you were a better parent, I wouldn't have, and it's not wrong. It's true, but (laughs) we have to, we go back and we humanize them and we say, yeah, that was awful. And, and absolutely we're not making excuses, but we're looking for an explanation that will allow you to add more possibility to what it meant. Did it mean that they didn't love you? Or did it mean that in that moment, they were so overwhelmed, they couldn't do anything else. And uh, I mean, I just got chills thinking about it because I can think off the top of my head of three clients that have had so many major epiphanies going, Oh God, like I, you know, I have a client now where we think about wow, like, is that really what my mom was going through, you know, and getting into that human space again, not to be like, Hey, you're off the hook. (laughs) It's all good. What you did to me, but more to just be like, okay. So I carried with me this unworthy feeling because I felt that way. I carried with me the, the message to do this in my life, but I don't have to do that because the reason why that was instilled in me was because of somebody else's pain that they didn't know how to handle. And so I can take that off of me. Like you just said, take it off of me. It wasn't me. It felt like me though, because when I was a little kid, I couldn't understand what I can understand now. So we just go back in there. Literally, I say it, say it exactly that way. We're going to go with our adult brains and we're going to talk to our child brains. Yeah. And, and it, because it's a conversation between us, we can understand a whole lot better than if you try to go walk up to a seven-year-old today, it's not going to work but you can do that to yourself. What else was happening? What other story can we tell today? What other feelings can we put in there instead? Can we feel sad for the, for, for the whole situation and 
like allow you to feel like you can change the viewpoint of that, you know, whether it's your voice, we'll just use a specific example of somebody who wasn't allowed to like talk or felt like they couldn't express themselves, right? The thought process when you're seven or eight is that what you have to say is awful. Nobody wants to talk to you. You are boring. You are whatever, you know, you just, you're annoying, right? And that's, you just, it's all you can conceptualize because you don't have the emotional maturity to think of anything different. But when you go backwards in time, we may look at that situation and say, people just couldn't understand my energy or, you know, mom and dad were working 80 hours a week. And like, now I understand their overwhelm and they just couldn't handle hearing me. They loved me, but they just, it was literally a stimulation problem, you know, and just seeing how that can shift the idea of like, oh, well, okay, maybe I, I wasn't annoying. They were having a hard time managing themselves in that moment. Absolutely. Stuff like that. hundred <laughs> yeah, percent. It was perfectly explained. And I'm like, oh, you're like, oh, okay, we're good. We wrap this up. You know, um, <laughs> it's just it's, one part of it though. I mean, there's so many there's different so many areas. Factors. And I think of, when I think of, and this is sometimes, my own, this is my own processing. This isn't based in any type of psychology. I don't think just my own understanding of psychology was all made up. Just don't forget that (laughs) every theorist was a theorist. (laughs) (laughs) So this is Grace's psychology about inner child. Um, So when I think about the trauma, my inner child has my, that child experienced as a young child, emotional, mental, even physical trauma, that's when our brain develops and I, and our, and our, I sense of our identity develops. And so when I think about working with the heart and the mind, I feel like my heart is the adult higher level, higher being part of the equation. And I feel my mind is the child part of the equation. Mm-hmm. And so when it's something, so when something's being sabotaged or I'm having like an inner tantrum with my mind and it's trying to like derail what I'm trying to do. I see that as a child having a temper tantrum Mm -hmm. because it's responding from a fear that was created when I was a child. And Mm -hmm. so often I will talk to my, when I do the connection with my brain, I talk to it as I would a child, like, okay, brain, what are you experiencing right now? I sense that you're really upset. I, I really want to know what you're feeling. And I really try to get very clear and very um, kind of basic. And, and just so that there, there's a clear understanding that I am trying to seek information and not trying to be another one of my parental figures who are just like, whatever, yeah. um, that I'm actually listening. Because when I did connect with my brain, I think that that's when I really stepped into the true inner child work was connecting to what that brain was saying, i.e. my child, because I had created a situation where I was parenting my child like my mother parented me and I wasn't listening. And so when I finally realized that, because it wouldn't talk to me when I connected with it, it was like, I don't have nothing. I'm not talking to you because you never want to hear what I have to say anyways. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm like, (laughs) and it was just like, you shut me down constantly. And in that moment, I realized, fuck, I, I did exactly to my brain what my mother did to me. I, she never listened. She shut me down. She never gave me space to be me. And Mm -hmm. I was like, well, okay. So I had to do a lot of apologizing, a lot of, you know, sense of like reconnecting. And once I did, it was a, it's easier for me to see where some of my fears come from which has led me to bigger epiphanies in other areas, which has led me to bigger understanding of myself and understanding of why I do things. So that when I, when I experience it again, I'm not like, what the fuck is going on? Why am I doing? I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm being triggered by a fear here. What is this fear? Mm -hmm. And so half of, for me, half of my, you know, inner child work has been diffusing fear. Yeah. Now, fear was a main component of my childhood, especially at the very younger years um, with my stepfather. So there was fear there most of the time. There was always fear. So 
Whenever I'm afraid, it's very triggering. Fear is natural. It's our body's way of saying there's danger ahead. You know, it's like that, that animal will eat you if you don't start running now. Like (laughs) fear is natural to have. But when you are over encompassed by fear constantly, that is a problem that unless you're living in a cage of lions, you know, (laughs) really not like, okay, your adrenals and your nervous system is always on. And, Mm -hmm. and, And that's where we get sick. That's where we have adrenal fatigue. That's where we start to physically manifest our fears and, and they become illnesses. So, you know, and, and looking at that and looking at, you know, sometimes that maybe the challenges that we may have, one of my friends said to me one day, and this is very deep and this is very kind of, you have to really wrap your head around it. So just hold on to your seatbelts. I, He said to me, I don't trust to parent myself because I never had a good example of what a good parent was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there was a fear of doing the inner child work because they didn't have the example of how it needed to be, what being a good parent was. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of like, oh, oh which is why we perpetuate the cycle because we can all, we only know what we know. And, and then things get stuck and then things just never change. But there again, I'm like, okay, that makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. But as we learn, when we get into touch with our heart, our heart knows how to parent regardless of whether we've had an example or not. That's why we always, whenever it's funny, cause somebody asked me the other day, there's some things that we do through the healing angel protocol that I don't generally access um, because most of the people that come to me, we're accessing their heart because it's, it's like I'm reconnecting them to that heart, to what it is is inside of them, which is higher knowledge, which is instinct, which is gut feelings, which is where we hold the knowledge of how to be kind to ourselves, how to love ourselves, how to help ourselves heal. It's all in our heart. And mm-hmm. our brain has generally like caged our heart and like thrown away the key. Cause it's like, because when we are born onto this earth, we are beings of love. We know who we are. We have an innate subconscious sense that we are part of the God, the I am, we know who we are and what we're here to do. And we know that, and we love those around us, the people that our parents, our families, we instinctually love them and we'll do things for them. So then when we begin to become ourselves, mold ourselves into our own little beings, and then we're rejected for it and our love is rejected, our brain begins to think that love equals danger. And so once they think, once it thinks that it starts to shut the heart down and disconnect and it loses its number. And it's like, I don't know, it ghosts the heart like pretty hardcore. So when we are trying to heal our inner child, a lot of the first steps is accessing that part of our heart, that, that essential knowing that essential energy and love that exists in our heart. And that's, I feel like step one in how to heal your inner child. You have to connect with that heart and do the work to pick the lock mm-hmm. so that it can, we can take the cage away. We can take down the walls. The heart is never the problem. We have to, we see all these memes out there that it said, Oh, heart, like, why are you always making it so hard for us? Or, Oh, heart, you're the problem. Why, why are you so, you know, whatever the heart is not the problem. The problem is, is that the brain doesn't want you, wants you to feel like you want to give it away to someone who's not going to take care of it mm-hmm. to keep you from wanting to do that. It's a really weird system. <laughs> but I'm telling you it works because if, if your brain is like, Oh, you want to love this person. Let's give all our love that we can access that we're allowed to access to this person because our brain already knows it has seen all the red flags. It has mm-hmm. seen all the things that are not safe, but it's going to let you do it because it wants to prove its point. 
It wants to create, continue the narrative of, see, you give your love and it's not enough and it's not good enough and you're not enough or, you know, or see what happens when you give your love to someone, they abandon you, they do whatever, whatever the narrative is that your brain is constantly trying to reinforce and prove. So while you think it's your heart saying you want to love that person, it's your brain creating a scenario to continue to prove its narrative to you and to ingrain that pathway so that you think you associate giving love with not being enough and that giving love equals what? Abandonment, trauma, abuse, et cetera, whatever that thing is. That's how that works. And so when we can step back and be like, yo, I don't think this is okay. This is not okay. I want love in my life. I want to love people. I want to know when it's safe to love and when it's safe to give my love with, you know, and how to give my love without the sense of expectation. And how do I fill up my own cup? And we have to reconnect the brain and the heart again. And, and to me, that's like cornerstone work in any, I mean, I know I've gone on every freaking episode about the heart and the mind, but that is truly that is truly the energy I work in. So when, you know, I don't use certain parts of the HAP, the healing angel protocol, because I have a lot of clients who need to just connect with their heart. So I don't need the other stuff because connecting with the heart is the cornerstone of of kind of my work and what I do. So without it, we can't move forward. So we have to start there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of how I see how it kind of all rolls out and our challenges with it. Um, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> go on. As, as you were writing, <laughs> I mean, as you were writing, as you were talking, I had written mistrust of heart because it was wrong. And I was thinking of the, the I forget the name of, oh God, I knew I was going to forget. I should have written that down again. Um, it's, it's a cartoonist who, you know, I, I think on a daily basis or an almost daily basis puts out a cartoon of the heart and the mind talking to each other. And a lot of times it's like the brain being like, I trying to control the heart because the heart is willy nilly and all over the place and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, we laugh at it and we think about it as like, as fact, like you can't trust your heart because your heart is going to lead you in the wrong direction. And like what you're saying is true and people don't, it's hard to, it's hard for people to feel like they created it right? Like when you hear that and you're like in a space maybe where you're like not being loved and you're being treated like crap, you're like, um, there's no way that I created this to prove a point. Right. Like, and it's like, well, you don't know everything that's going on in your brain. My clients will always tell you that they see me point in my forehead and point at the back of my head because I'm really, I'm literally being like the front of your mind is your conscience. And I'm not saying this anatomy wise, but I just do it to make them think of it. And the back of your mind, you can't see, you can't, it's way back here. There's millions of processes going on there on a regular basis that are just trying to keep you alive. Brain is keeping you alive and safe. And if love has been unsafe, it wants to prove it enough time so that you will keep yourself safe by not doing it. Not because they like the pain, you know, that it's like, ha ha ha, let's do this again because it's real fun. It's like, how many times do we have to do it until you'll stop? Because my only purpose is to keep you safe and this is not safe. Right. So let's not do it. Okay. You haven't learned yet. Let's figure out how to make you learn so that you won't do it again. Yeah. But the heart gets the bad rap <laughs> because it's like, oh, you're so immature and you know, you don't know enough and, and this, that, and the other thing. And you're right though. The heart has the pure energy and the mind does all of it. The mind is where we attract our mates from because we think we know what we want. We think we've conceptualized a person. We're not listening to our hearts. We're listening to our minds. (laughs) But we'll blame our hearts right away. Like it's your fault. Like, no, ma'am, it is not. (laughs) I'm over here looking for the pure thing. And you're over here like, looking with your eyes and your brain and your whatever, like I would have said no, (laughs) right? Like if you check in with your heart and your gut, they're going to say no when it's not right, but we don't check in with our heart and our gut, but we sure blame them. 
and it's really up there in the mind. And love is one of those places that that inner child work is so freaking important because love on the whole, there's so many different kinds of love that if your primary source of love when you were young became untrustworthy, then all the forms of love as an adult are pretty much on shaky ground in one way or another. That means friendships, that means relationships, that means parents, that means when you become a parent yourself, becoming sure of what showing love is. I mean, it can become a whole mess of not really knowing and like it could get so ugly. So going back into that space of, well, what did love look like? I mean, it's, it can be a very simple conversation. How did you know that you were loved? Did you know that you were loved? No. Okay. Well, what, what happened to you that showed you that you weren't loved? And we just take the whole thing apart. Yeah. Is was it true? Was it true that you weren't loved or was it true that they couldn't show love? And once we get to those spaces, it's like, okay, you're giving that signal again to those back. It's automatic for me. You you guys out there can't see me, but I'm pointing to the back of my brain. (laughs) It's automatic for me to say, you're giving the message back here to stop some of those processes and say what we thought was correct before we now have new information that says we should doubt that. So we need to, we, we have other hypotheses to prove, <laughs> right? And you work with your mind saying, I get where you got that message. I understand where that came from. Let's try something else with a connection to our heart, mind, gut, soul. Let's try something else and see if we can find some other evidence that can disprove this. Let's go into detective mode and see we're being conscious of it, right? So now we're being conscious so that we have like a real guard, not the pretend one back here. That's not, you know, telling us that we're unsafe. We're, we're going to explore it and see. And that's, you know, how we start to get into those better relationships and better friendships and, you know, better spaces about love. But if we don't do that, if you don't go back, I, I promise you, you're going to work from that programming forever because right. you just can't you can't deny your your basic neural pathways it's your brain yeah. <laughs> it's our spongy brain now yeah. if you think about it if you're a person who um like has the same relationship over and over and over again don't can't talk about me like that <laughs> Hey, I married, I married my stepfather. So like, I, I didn't marry my actual stepfather. Let me go back. Yeah. Someone that was just like my stepfather. So. I was like, please qualify that. <laughs> right. So yeah, no, I married the like almost near image of my stepfather. So yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, the other thing that about inner child work is I think that it's, I really want to express that it takes a minute. Don't think you're going to like do inner child work in a day and know what you're doing and be like, we're done (laughs) because there are moments that will trigger it again. There are moments it's, it's, it's like Vanessa says, it's being able to step back and saying, Whoa, what is this situation? And you know, what is, and, and how is this affecting me? And what is it bringing up? Well, like my friend Yeshua, and I know I'm bringing him up a lot, but he has been really fundamental in me understanding a lot of how I'm reacting to him. It's like, he's, he identifies as queer, so there's no relationship, but it's almost like there is a relationship because we're so close that as friends that a lot of what I would experience with a partner, I experienced with him because first of all, he's male. Second of all, he, you know, we both have trauma woundings. We both have, you know, we're both working through our shit. And when, when I, when we drove up here from Sedona to Pacific Northwest, when I moved here, that we had a fight and we had a very large fight and that the first fight, we got a chance to talk about it the next day because I felt he was just going to leave and I was going to have to go through the blizzard by myself and just 
you know, and, and like, I was ready to do it all. And I was ready, like, he's just done. I, he's going to check out because I expected him to abandon me because that's what people who are angry at me, they just leave me and they like deal with it yourself. We don't want to help you anymore. This was a mistake to help you to begin with. So he didn't, and we had a chance to talk about it a little bit. And then we had another argument when we got here because there was his other, his, um, his partner came up from where he lives because he had no electricity. And so he came to stay with us because it was a blizzard. Like nobody yep. was going anywhere. And Portland, the Pacific Northwest doesn't have the infrastructure to deal with snow. And we're talking snow, yep. like highways were closed, that type of snow. So there's three of us in this tiny one bedroom apartment, you know, I'm sleeping on the couch. They're sleeping in their bedroom. And it's like this sense of like, you know, so we had another argument and I was like, and I know he was triggered prior to the argument. I was triggered. And so there was another art, like, and, and so two arguments in such a close period of time, like I got to that point where I would have said yes to anything to just get him to be okay. Yeah. And so he told me how he was feeling, but I had nothing to offer him about how I was experiencing it because I was so worried that I was going to lose him as a friend and that we were going to, I was going to lose this friendship because that's what happens, right? That's arguing equals divorce, equals (laughs) disillusion, like, and the dissolvement of whatever's happening in that moment. So that's why high, like loud voices and people arguing triggers me like every time. That's why when I, somebody's yelling at me, I shut down, shut down, run away, shut down, run away. You know, it's so fearful. So it wasn't until almost a year later that I had the epiphany of what it was, it was that I was experiencing because it, our relationship didn't feel the same Yeah. after that. And I, well, I, but, and I found myself, I was in overgiving mode. Mm-hmm. trying to prove my worth to him that he should still be my friend because yeah. I was afraid that that because yeah I moved here with the idea that I'd have a support system yeah. and to take you know so when I realized he had triggered every feeling of abandonment issue that I had and when I finally figured out that I was still reacting to that moment a year later that I was able to, and I waited and I asked, I said, do you have a minute that I, are you in a good headspace today? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. And I shared with him how I was feeling. I shared with him what I was experiencing. And of course we're in, we're in a restaurant and I'm bawling my eyes out because I do my <laughs> best like work in a restaurant somewhere. Cause, and it was funny cause the whole side of that restaurant cleared out, everybody left. And I was like, so, and I'm, and I'm like, and I'm talking to him and I'm, but I'm experiencing it as, you know, sharing with him how I felt. And it was like, he accepted it. And he says, I'm really sorry that, 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 that's, that you're still carrying that. And that, that was the response. And you felt like you couldn't, I said, I don't even know what I was doing, you know, but there again, that trigger made me go and that understanding and stepping back made me go long story short. I know I'm dragging this on, but it made me step out of the situation to see what was happening and what I was doing so that I could put the pieces together so that I could understand what it was I was feeling, why I was not connecting to our friendship. Mm-hmm. And once I did, it was like, we were the old, the, everything came back to the way it was. It was normalized. So it was like, it wasn't so much that things were abnormal in the friendship. I was abnormal because I was still responding from my trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you know, because I had thought that because this, because of the situation, this was going to happen and I was going to lose that person. So I started to pull back. So I started to make reasons why I didn't want his support. I stopped reaching out. I stopped asking for help. I, I, me, I pulled back because my brain was afraid of what was going to happen. And so when I knew that and I figured it out, I could do that inner child work to go back to that moment and that moment and understanding the impact of, of arguments and like my stepfather and how he used to yell and scream and be angry, that knowing that going back to that moment to heal some of that helped me, helped me understand a, a bunch of other situations that were happening. So yeah. 
when we take this time to go and do the work, you're going to find that you hit a root and that root has many tentacles and many areas of your life. So when you're in, in the inner child work and you're like, okay, I'm going back to this person who, you know, every time that I would say, I love you, or every time I would give them love, they would like tease me or something that's going to root out into different aspects of your life. And you can begin to see and have those epiphanies of, ah, that's why that happens when that happens. This is why I do this. This is why I think this, this is why I believe this. And this is why I've dated or have the same friend over and over again. I get it now because of that one situation. So while it takes time, it rolls it. You'll find that you're in this space of healing and understanding will just, it's like it kind of accumulates and it gets faster and you kind of get quicker at finding the root, seeing where it hits in your life and being able to heal multiple points and multiple things so that it's not just like, oh, I have one root, we'll do one thing and then we go to the next one. It's it's really interconnected. Yeah. I don't know why I had to go on about that, but apparently <laughs> that situation. No, because it's a real life situation. And I think it's one that people can connect to of like, what does it feel like when I get in an argument with somebody that I love? You know, that is, it's a perfect time to step and say, how deep does this go? <laughs> right? Like what's the, the deepest of the feelings that I'm feeling right now, the most root of the feeling, which, you know, in my experience, a lot of people have a hard time even going that far without somebody helping them use those words, <laughs> say those words, but like, okay, so I've got the feeling, where did I get the, the connection between these two? Because it wasn't right now, or else I wouldn't have had a trigger. The trigger only can happen from my brain recognizing it as something similar to something else. And we go back and go back, and we go back you know, and we're like, oh, and when you talk about the root, I love that. And I, I always, I mean, trees, are pretty easy I feel like right like because we've got our like our trunk and then we've got the different branches and then the branches have branches <laughs> and that's what I think of is like when you get onto that the first part of that branch we think of that as one of the you know one of the other roots the roots of the whole and all those little branches you know you maybe you're gonna have to cut them off but new growth comes in after that, just like, you know, when you prune your, your hedges, you cut off the things that you want to, to regrow in a better way or a different form. I don't know, I'm getting a little gardeny about it. Maybe people are like, I don't do that. What are you talking about? But it happens guys. Like I've watched people cut literally an entire bush down to a couple sticks. And then you watch it grow around the couple sticks. And that's, like this idea of you can go, go down that branch and be like, oh, this affects me here. I'm going to cut it off and there'll be regrowth. This affects me here. I'm going to cut it off. I'm going to have regrowth. And if you have to conceptualize it that way, because you're visual like me, it really is helpful to be like, okay, I'm a tree. I got branches. My branches have branches. <laughs> so how far down the branch do I got to go? I'll do it because I want that regrowth to be good. So this is my life branch. This is my love branch. This is my whatever, whatever we need to name it in order to get down to, well, where did I get that message and what new message needs to replace it? Because yep. it is that simple. That's to me, the, the goal of inner child work is to check out our messages and replace them with something different. You know, we, when we are young, we are blank tablets. Oh. And we get written on, <laughs> right? We get written on either by somebody telling us what to write or by it being written by the small amount of executive function that we actually have. Yep. And until we go back and wipe that clean and write something else, we just believe it to be true. So we're just going backwards and saying, hey, if you felt unlovable, let's look at the ways that you are lovable. And let's take apart as many of those ones that you didn't feel lovable and, and make it be seen that it's not about you being unlovable. It's about somebody having not the capacity to love you and letting that sit with them of their own issues of giving love. Yeah. Not that you, you know, were performing in a way that you don't deserve love. 
it really, I mean, it really changes people's lives. And like you said, with the epiphanies, I mean, it takes a while because there's so much life, you know, and there, and there's so much, depending on what age you are, when you start to do this work, you got a lot of experiences to run that through. (laughs) So like when we went through the, you know, the, um, the, the class that we went through, it was like, my gosh, the amount of work that we've done already. And there's still so much to go through because of the experiences that we've had that have reinforced, you know, negative ideas is a ton of them. We've lived a lot of experiences in our lives and some of them we think are small or sometimes big and we don't know it until we go through it. So, you know, yes, there's some immediate healing of the relief of not having to be the one to carry it, but it's, I mean, it, 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 the longevity of it, um, you know, there has to be some patience, but along the way you get lots and lots of reassurance and lots of good feeling. Like these are good epiphanies. I know sometimes they sound like they're not, but the feeling that you get when you're like, Oh man, like, is that where I got that from? You get more of those immediate relief that immediate, like, Oh, okay. That's not what happened. And it feels good to be able to say, Oh, that thing I carried for 20 something years isn't, isn't it. Oh, that feels good because I've been carrying something that sucks. The idea that it may not suck feels awesome right now. <laughs> like I don't want to carry that anymore. Um, and you know, however you got to do it is how you got to do it. Sometimes I have people that have to look at themselves as a little girl yes. or a little boy, you know, and say, okay, in that moment, what did you need to be said to you? Let's say it to you right now you know, right? Like what do you, what would it have been better for your caretaker to say in that moment, if they had the capacity to say it? And yeah, when, when I had, when I had that moment, and I know I've, I've, I've mentioned this long time ago in a very early podcast, when I had that moment in that restaurant, when that chair collapsed underneath me and I went home, I had two choices. I had a choice where I could have done what I've always done and because of I've always been teased or criticized by my mother about my weight and my and now my realization also my dad and I could have like totally like ripped into myself and compounded the trauma of that moment but instead because I've done the inner child work because I'm doing the inner child work not done because I don't feel it ever it doesn't really end it gets easier but it doesn't end and Mm -hmm. I I had that moment to say, you know what? I'm like, I kept saying to myself over and over again, it's okay. It's okay. Aim. It's okay. It's all right. It has nothing to do with you. You, it doesn't dictate just because that happened has nothing to do with you. It wasn't your fault that they had unsafe chairs. It wasn't your fault. It isn't because of any reason that you are or aren't something. I really spent a lot of time to just disconnect myself from the reason that that happened Mm -hmm. and to not own that it's because of me that that happened it happened because the chair was unsafe yeah end of story end of story Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I really had to disown being a bigger person to disown that and to to not you know take all of that on and use it for fodder for my brain to make me afraid to go out and do things and Mm -hmm. so it but because I've understood about at that time, my mother's impact and, and, you know, how I feel about my size and my body image and whatever. Mm-hmm. I had enough fortitude to be like, this isn't a time for us to use it to hurt ourselves. We want to be free of that energy, free of our mother. And when we can do the healing, we do gain a sense of freedom. We gain a sense of you know, like eons ago, Debbie Joe talked about having your souvenirs in your suitcase that we drag along behind us, all of our experiences. When we can kind of sort out who they belong to, we can let we can let our souvenirs go. We can put them down and our load becomes lighter and our and our capacity to experience joy comes a little bit easier the more and more we do it. Mm-hmm. Because we feel that, oh well. I'm not such a shitty person. 
maybe I can, maybe I do deserve a little bit of joy because that's really kind of what it comes down to. I mean, it's, it's very, I didn't cool. just come into the world unlovable after all. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I am a lovable human because I just <laughs> exist. Wow. What a concept. Right. But here's where I want to pause for a second and do a little bit of an ad break. So to say, I wanted to, we wanted to let you guys know that uh, Miss Vanessa is going to be a um, part of an online fair coming. It's going to be Thursday. So it'll be tomorrow because this will drop Wednesday. It's on April 28th. We will be doing one talk together as Freud's angels. And Miss Vanessa will be one of the vendors at the online fair. If you want to go, it's a very minimal admission. It's $5. You get to meet tons of vendors, tons of really great people from healers to card readers, to psychics, to um, there's also some, um, there was a couple of neurologists there last time talking about the brain functions, fascinating, fascinating humans. So please go. If you want to find that it's called me, we fairs.com. So it's M E W E F A I R S.com. And just check it out. The link is there. Um, it is April 28th. It's going to be online. So you can do it with your PJs. No worries about having to get dressed and go out into public. So please join us for our talk and join Vanessa and go hang out with Vanessa and see what she has to offer. Um, and, and she'll help bring you. What are you bringing, Vanessa? What are what is what are you, what energy are you bringing to this fair? I am bringing some life alchemy through intuition. Basically, you know, we we know I'm a big cheerleader of life, but it's more. Um, about how can we make your own magic? How do we make your magic without thinking, you know, that you have to just accept what comes at you? How do we turn your unique self into the life magician that we all have the capacity of being? Yeah. Through our mind, body, soul work. Yes, I'm here for that. Me so too. I'm perpetually here for that. <laughs> I mean, I feel like this is one of the easiest talks ever because it's what I do in my life on a regular basis is check in, check in, check in. And am I making my life magic or am I waiting for somebody to make my life magic? Oh, true story. So go come join us. I am not going to be at the fair after our talk. I have, um, I just, I'm just recovering as you've heard me cough, um, still recovering. Um, it's not the vid, trust me, it's not the COVID. It's just sinuses and allergies and everything else that comes along with spring. So join Vanessa again, it's at mewefairs.com, M-E-W-E-F-A-I-R-S.com and join us and come and it's five bucks, five bucks for the whole evening. And you can experience, you can sign up with the vendors. There are vendors with reduced cost pricing for the fair pricing for their services. You can set up an appointment with them after the fair. Most of them will honor that. You can meet new people. It's a really great way to get in touch with a lot of the healers, readers, and anyone else that has something to offer. So please go join them. Thank you. And back to our inner child work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I just think that inner child work, I think psychology took on inner child work and it became one of those things where people are like, oh, inner child work, but it's beneficial. It's, it's, it's near essential. And even if you don't label it as inner child work and you're going back and looking at the roots of emotions and triggers and trauma, that really still is inner child work. Yeah. Um, That's why, like I call it programming and reprogramming, like y'all I'm taking you through <laughs> inner child work stuff, but you don't want to hear it. So I'm just going to say, we're going into your programming and we're going to reprogram it yep. period. <laughs> and I, and I super think that, you know, the more that we kind of allow ourselves the work, allow ourselves the process to be gentle with ourselves and be kind to ourselves through the process. It's almost like the quicker we get through it, we get through each moment. There's many things to uncover, you know, there's many things to discover, but we won't discover it until we're ready. And I think we have to just accept that if it's coming up, if we're seeing it, if we're noticing it, it's time for us to do that work. Mm -hmm. And I hope that you do do the work because there's so much freedom on the other side of that. I've never felt freer than I did recently when I was able to self-validate myself and not perpetuate 
the narratives my parents gave me. And when that happened, it was like, wow, that felt so much better than any validation or anything or seeking whatever my parents made me seek. Like as a child, like we yeah. tend to want things from our parents, the validation, love, kindness, whatever. When I could do it for myself, it was like the ultimate freedom because I'm not relying on them dead or alive to do that for me. Mm-hmm. Freedom is, is like the word, <laughs> right? Like the freedom from all of this. And, and when with freedom comes freedom um, of choice going forward. And to me, that's like the biggest piece of it is that, that, that once you start to get the idea that you can change things that you learned in like innately that you learned that you thought were just the way, or that you, you turned into who you are like, Oh, well, that's just how I am. Once you learn that how you are can change <laughs> at any time, it is awesome to feel like, Oh, I can make, I can choose. I can choose so many things. You start to see everybody else in the world as other human beings who made choices to be something right. Like you start to see these inspirational stories, uh, even a little bit more different of like, there's nothing that the, that person wasn't anointed. That person decided to cut off their early programming and adopt new programming. Right. And, and that's why they're successful. The only difference between me and that person is that I haven't cut off that programming yet. Okay. I can sign on to that. <laughs> Let me see what that means for me. And it really just opens everything up to being like, oh, I, I'm the one with the power. The power doesn't lie in my past. The power doesn't lie in what I learned and now have to operate from forever. The power lies in whatever I truly want and just healing these things so that I can really believe it. Right. Cause we really do have to work with our brain to be like, no, no, we're not just hopeful. We actually have an evidence, right? Like you love evidence, the mind, the brain is like evidence-based. <laughs> we need that. Okay. No, listen, we have evidence brain <laughs> that yeah. this can change and that this isn't true. So, you know, and you kind of go on that that journey, that excited journey versus that scared journey. It's scary at first. What are we going to drag up? Oh God, this is awful. And then it becomes exciting, right? We talk about it all the time. We get that little pang of like, Oh my God, you know, like, (laughs) you know, like you're, you're, you weren't really quite ready for a big one, (laughs) but the big one comes. But the next thing that we step into is like, okay, yeah. Something good's on the other side. I know because brain now has enough evidence to say, we don't have to be afraid of this. We actually need to get excited and try to do it. Like now, can we do something now? <laughs> How quickly can we get this one done? <laughs> and when you can create, create this space of having equity, equitable conversation between the heart and the mind. And believe me when I say we have actually have conversations with the heart. Like I actually, in my head, are having conversations. Yes. The more likely your brain needs to go to DEFCON 10 in order to get you to hear something, in order to get you to understand something. And the more that we can talk with the brain and say, okay, yep, this is scary, but could you, you know, could I, could we just try it? And if you feel you're unsafe, I'll shut things down and I'll stop. Mm-hmm. And those are the conversations I have a lot with my brain because like public speaking and like being out there and doing some of these in-person fairs that I have not done before that it is scared. And so it takes a lot of like saying, okay, if it goes south, I will shut it down and I will leave and we won't have to deal with it. We'll yep. just come back and pack up our stuff. And because I promised that it, it's allowing me to say to my brain, I have your back and I'm here. I'm going to hear you when you tell me you're afraid and I'm going to hear when you tell me it's unsafe. However, I need you to let, give me bandwidth to do this because it's something I want to try. And then at the end of it, my brain is like, that was fun. Let's do it again. And I'm like, see, it's like, yeah, it was fun. We had a lot of fun. It is something we like to do. So it gives me, it gives a sense of, this is how you prove to your brain that it's safe to become what and who you want to be. Exactly. It needs the evidence. Yep. It's going to create its own if we don't 
work at it. And that's why we end up in patterns and that's why we end up in um, cycles and, and that we don't get out of because we don't work. We just let the brain take, find them, you know, and it is, I, I know it sounds weird. You know, we, we said it before and I really do need you to know that we get that it's hard to conceptualize the idea that we do this stuff. Um, we create these patterns and, and act in them um, purposefully, but it's not your heart that's purposefully doing it. It's your brain trying to make sure that we understand and don't put ourselves in crappy situations, but it is up to us to be like, well, if, 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 if I want love to be a crappy situation that I avoid, sure. Okay. I guess we'll just do that. But most of us don't want that. When we have that conversation with our heart, it's like, no, we want love. We want love of all kinds. Um, so how do we go about safely baby stepping yeah. toward yeah. redefining what all of these love relationships look like and feel like um so that brain feels safe and can trust heart <laughs> and likewise heart can trust brain <laughs> and yeah and i love you know the idea of just letting everybody know you can talk to yourself you know as your brain and your heart because words spoken word is very powerful we know that um, and you don't need to have another person for spoken word to be powerful. This is why we do mirror work, um, you know, in psychology is because you're looking at yourself and you're saying words out loud. And uh, yeah, like you could say those words without looking in the mirror, <laughs> you know, and there's a completely other effect. You could think them yeah. in the mirror and it's not the same as saying them in the mirror. I mean, spoken word matters. So being able to own each part of you as you're saying, well, heart, what are you saying? I'm saying, go for it because I feel great. I feel happy brain. What are you saying? I'm saying unsafe. You've made really terrible decisions in the past and uh, you're not ready. Okay, cool. How do we get on the same page? What, what are those terrible decisions? Where did they come from? What was the programming that made me make those decisions? Yep. Right. What were you looking for brain when you were trying to prove this thing? Right. Like, Okay, here we go. We're in detective mode. <laughs> We're feeling it out. We don't have to move in any direction. We just need to conceptualize it. Get into, It's like a, a cold case that we're reinvestigating. Well, it's like a scared kitten that you find on the street that's a stray. You don't move too suddenly. You don't make any sudden movements. Yeah. You, didn't, you don't want to scare it. You don't want to let it know that it's you're threatening. And yeah. like you have to really approach it with a sense of just openness and to be prepared. I had to apologize. I will admit that I had to do a lot of apologizing for shutting my brain down because I perpetuated a narrative that happened in my life. And I did. I, I said, I was sorry. I apologize multiple times, but that's what it took. And I was going to do that because I knew that that was that part of my healing was essential to my well-being. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's powerful. It's life-changing. You know, we're not sharing this for any reason other than knowing the power that it's created in our lives, the empowerment, yeah. the healing, the, the release, the, the ways that it has manifested better in our lives by doing this work. Um, that's why we're sharing it. We want, we want you guys to feel that feeling. We want you to feel free. We don't want you in the same cycles, um, you know, because we understand it. I know there are cycles I'm still trying to break by doing this work in yeah. many different ways, but I'm not going to give up because I know the evidence has existed from doing the work that like, when you get it, when you get it, man, <laughs> that manifestation is going to be big and worth it. It'll be worth the confusion. It'll be worth the like shaking your head. It'll be <laughs> worth revisiting things. Um, that maybe are a little bit painful, but when you do it with the eyes of a detective versus the eyes of somebody who's condemning, you'll feel it. You'll feel it different. There's also a level of, um, I think, uh, equity that comes with doing it that way. You're, you're, you're exploring, you're not prejudging. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, get on to the inner child work. If you don't know how, and you need help starting, 
reach out to one of us, reach out to a therapist, reach out to your own energy worker. If they have expertise in it, reach mm-hmm. out to, um, you know, someone you trust that's in the industry, but, you know, reach out to us. We're well-versed in chi- inner child work. Yes. We've had to do a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it. We're still, like you said, we're always going to be doing it and it's okay. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. It is. And Cause you know, there isn't, there, I feel it's, I don't know. I, I, it is, you're absolutely right. And it's, it, it's a, I don't know. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome. I hate the fact that we have to do it because there's trauma in our lives, but at the same time, wow, thank God there's a way to fix that so we can access happiness. Absolutely. It's like, it's shitty that we have to give in that hand, but at least there's still a way for, we can win the game. Mm-hmm. You bet. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for listening to us. Um, just kind of go on our own tangents of, of how to really access it and, and bring you ideas and thoughts. May it inspire you to seek your own inner child and see what it has to say. We're here for you at any time. Just stick around and listen to the outro. It'll give, give you all of the ways that you can connect with either me or Vanessa or both of us and Amen. love you. And we will see you next week. Yes. Love you. If you were triggered by anything said in this podcast, please dial 911 or go to your local emergency room. To more deeply understand your unique emotional reaction to today's podcast, I'd love for you to connect with me. You can find me at Vanessa Perry Counselor at gmail.com or at www.vanessaperry.net. And if you wish to take your healing further, through energy work or channeling angels or the highest level beings, please reach out to me, Grace, at graceevergreen.com or graceevergreen at outlook.com. And always remember you are loved, you are worthy, and the world needs your light.